You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister, Del Matthews. Today's reading is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. To the church in Smyrna, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Del Matthews. I'm the Life Groups Minister here at St. John's. And today we're continuing our series in the book of Revelation. We've been looking at the letters to the churches. Uh, we've titled the series Dear Church, like a letter. In the 1980s, I lived in Indonesia in the province bordering Papua New Guinea. For two years, I lived in a remote highland village. Um, there were no roads in and the only way in or out was by light aircraft. Now, this was before the days of internet, email or satellite phones, at least where I was in Indonesia. We did have a daily radio sked with base and the plane would bring in our snail mail every six weeks or so. You can imagine how I felt when the pilot forgot my mail one time. Now, there were lots of people around, but I was still learning the language and their culture was very different to ours. It was hard to know if I had any friends among them. I didn't cope very well with the isolation. Being in the highlands and near the equator, we got rain daily. And in the tropics, when it rains, it pours. My house had a metal roof, no ceiling, no insulation. So when it rained, it was impossible to keep up a conversation. I remember feeling so lonely one night with the rain deafening on my roof, no lights apart from a kerosene lamp and everyone else back in their own houses. I called out to God, actually I shouted at him and shook my fist. If this is what it really means to be a Christian, then it's all too hard. I came very close that night to giving up on God. Now maybe living in a remote village wouldn't faze you, but we all have challenges in life that test our endurance and test our faith in God. What would it take for you to shake your fist and shout at God that it's all too hard? Maybe it's feeling isolated through ill health or feeling like you're the only one finding the cost of living, you know, your rental and mortgage going way beyond your means. Or maybe it's feeling left out of friendship groups at school or uni or maybe through unreasonable demands at work or feeling helpless with challenges in your family. Most of us don't get warning of severe challenges, of really tough times. We don't expect them. But the church in Smyrna did get a warning. Smyrna? Where is that, do you ask? 
Well, if you were here last week, you'll remember this map. Last week we heard about the letter to the church at Ephesus. As you can see, Smyrna is also a port city. It's on the postal route about 80 kilometres north of Ephesus. It's still there in modern Turkey, but these days it goes by the name of Izmir. And no, it wasn't in the region that experiences severe earthquakes this week. Back then, its coins had inscribed on them, first city in Asia in size and beauty. It's a city that still looks great, uh, with a beautiful harbour and great architecture. Smyrna was a Roman city, and the citizens fully embraced all things Roman. In Greek times, they had built a temple to Athena, but under Roman rule, they worshipped the emperor as their god. Now, wealth was unevenly distributed across the Roman Empire, but being a port city, Smyrna was relatively well off, so it attracted Jews and other migrants who were hoping to make a better life for themselves. Last week, Tim told us that letters to the churches all followed a similar pattern. Well, most do, but the letter to Smyrna is a bit of an outlier. It started with the usual greeting and followed by a title for Jesus, but rather than saying what the church was doing well, this letter acknowledges what was not going so well for the church in Smyrna, what was tough. There's no critique, just a warning of more bad to come. It's a kind of letter I would have been glad for my pilot to forget. The letter finishes with a promise, though, a happy ending, you might say, but we need to understand that beginning and the end to fully understand what Jesus is urging and encouraging us to in the middle. At the beginning of the letter, we're reminded of who Jesus is, the Jesus John referred to in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. He's the first and the last. He's supreme over all gods, all rulers, and even over death itself. He died and came back to life again. He holds the key to the place of death. And as chapter 1 tells us, he's alive forever and ever. Chapter 1 paints a picture of Jesus and as an amazing figure. I encourage you to go back and read it again. But it's in the Gospels that we read why he's so amazing. It's there we meet the Jesus who loves like no other can, who understands the pain of those who are suffering, who knows the best and the worst about us but still offers his love. His love, he loved us so much that he died for us. You know, we sing that song, Amazing Grace, but it really is. There's nothing better than being loved so deeply. At the end of the letter to, to the church in Smyrna, we're told that anyone who's victorious will not be hurt by the second death. Well, what's the second death? Well, the first death is a bodily death that comes to us all at some time. The second death that Jesus is referring to in this letter is the fate of anyone who deliberately refuses to follow Jesus and worship him as the one true God. Because he overcame death, Jesus is the only one who can give us true life. While we remain with Christ, our current body will die, but death can't hold on to us. We will ultimately live forever, and just like Christ, if we remain in him. We'll be soaked in his amazing love forever. So the beginning and the end of this letter to the church in Smyrna is about life to be gained in Christ. Well, let's take a look at what the middle of the letter says. 
So the letter tells us that the Christians in Smyrna were having a really hard time of it. First, we read that they suffered afflictions and despite Smyrna being a wealthy city, the Christians lived in poverty. Now, it's possible their businesses were shunned because they were Christian. Well, then again, their suffering and poverty may have had nothing to do with them being Christians. Either way, life was tough. It may have felt like God was just not coming through for them, that God didn't love them. Now, the church in Smyrna was made up mostly of Jews who had become Christians, and they considered themselves to be true Jews because they turned to the Messiah that the Jewish scriptures had promised. Now, we're also told that the Christians, these Jewish Christians, suffered slander from their fellow Jews, those who are not Christian. Now, this slander was a bit more than just name-calling and bullying. These Jews were telling lies to the Roman authorities about the Christians. Their allegations could put the Christians in real danger with the authorities. Well, things were bad enough, but this letter Jesus warns the Christians in Smyrna that persecution was about to get worse. Some of them would be in prison for their faith and some of them would even be put to death because they were Christians. Now, I'm not sure what would be worse, being put in prison and killed yourself or having to watch your loved ones, your close friends arrested, taken away and suffering who knows what torture and hideous death. In this letter, Jesus asked them to do two things. But first of all, he reminded the the Christians at Smyrna that even though life was already really tough and that they were living in poverty, the Christians in Smyrna were rich. He reminds them that they have the most valuable thing that anyone could have, life with Christ, secure in his great love. Death could not hold them down. They were rich in Christ because they now had true life. Now, it's not unusual to hear the testimonies of people who've you know, lost everything or come through a great tragedy to be thankful that they still have each other or now that they understand what really matters in life. We can get bogged down thinking that riches refers to things, you know, stuff, money. But Jesus reminds the Christians in Smyrna and asks that life is much more than stuff. He reminds them of what what really matters. So firstly, Jesus tells them not to be afraid. Fear is very, very powerful when it takes a grip. We hear of people, even in today's world, who give in to the fear of torture or death and admit to doing something that they didn't do. And this is not the first time that Jesus told his followers not to be afraid. In the book of Matthew, he tells his disciples not to be afraid of someone who can kill the body but not kill their soul. He reminds us uh, that even though even a couple of sparrows can fall to the ground and God knows about it, he knows what's happened. We're so much more worth um, than sparrows to God. Despite the persecution they were facing, Jesus is still the first and the last. He's supreme over all. The worst the authorities could do was to kill the body, and God knows what was happening to them. Authorities could not kill the soul, and they could not take away what really mattered, real life that only Jesus could give. Knowing there was a limit to the power of their enemies would have encouraged the Christians to not be afraid. 
The second thing Jesus asked the Christians at Smyrna to do was to be faithful, even to the point of death. He asked them to stick with him, to stick with Jesus, and then they would be given a victor's crown. And the type of crown he refers to is a crown given to, given to an athlete who wins, you know, uh, wins a race or, or, or some event. You know those wreaths made up of branches that they wore when they won an event at the early Olympics. We'll all die a bodily death. Some of the Christians in Smyrna would expect execution because they were Christians. Jesus asked, asked them to be faithful and not deny him, even in those most terrifying moments before death. It would be worth it, he says, because in the end is a life of amazing love with Jesus. I think of it a bit like those images we see of people being rescued from raging floods or landslides, a child maybe or an elderly person being carried by a rescuer. The heavy lifting is being done by the rescuer. In our case, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. But the person who is being rescued is also asked to hold on and as they're being carried out or piggybacked back to safety and to life. If the Christians in Smyrna held on to Jesus, they would come through and receive life, amazing life with Jesus. If they let go of Jesus, there would be no life at the end. In the book of Matthew, Jesus told us that if we acknowledge Jesus before people, that he would acknowledge us before God. But if we let go and deny Jesus, then he would deny us before God. He would disown us. While we remain united with Christ through the tough times, he remains with us. Through We remain with him in resurrection and in eternal life. Now, Polycarp was a young man in his early 20s when this letter came around and was read out at the church gathering. I imagine that they called a special meeting to read the letter. What would the atmosphere have been like? I'm guessing that after the initial shock of hearing the letter to them to them and Smyrna, there would have been a very sombre mood. I can imagine people looking around to their friends, people they loved. Who did he mean? Who would be imprisoned? Who would die? I remember being on a camp in my late teens and the youth leader took away our Bibles to simulate a takeover where all the Christians were being persecuted and imprisoned. He had us remember as many Bible verses as we could. I didn't take him seriously and thought it was all a bit of fun. But for Polycarp, the warning of this letter was no joke. It wasn't fun. He and the rest of the church at Smyrna would have taken this very seriously. They were already suffering poverty, afflictions and slander. For some, knowing that more suffering and persecution was certain, it might have been enough to have second thoughts about their faith. Was it becoming all too hard? Well, not for Polycarp. He went on to be a minister in the church. He was said to be a good one, kind, but he also struck to the, stuck to the truth of the gospel. Polycarp went on to be the Bishop of Smyrna. Those years were not easy and the church was suffering a lot of poverty and persecution, just as John had warned about him in the letter. But Polycarp remained faithful throughout. We've still got copies of letters written by him to the neighbouring churches. Persecution was a major concern. 
In his letters, he reminded Christians of what Christ endured for, for us. He endured for our sins, even to the point of death. He urged the church to pray for emperors, for magistrates, rulers, and for those who persecuted them. Now, when Polycarp was an old man, in his about his 80s or 90, early 90s, the Romans held an athletics festival. And this was more than just a fun community gathering. This was a serious festival tied to the worship of the Roman emperor. The Christians were told that if they refused to worship the emperor at the festival, they would be executed. And Polycarp's friends hid him in a hayloft outside the city. But a young boy told the authorities where he was. So the search was on for a bishop in a haystack. Polycarp was brought to the authorities. There was no trial. The imperial official begged him to cooperate. What harm is there to be offering, you know, just to offer an incense and say, Lord Caesar? Polycarp refused. The official gave him one more chance. Just curse Jesus and take an oath to Caesar. The crowd would have been silent. All eyes were on Polycarp. What would he do? Polycarp got up and said clearly so everyone could hear. For 86 years I have served him. He's never done me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Realising that he, uh, Polycarp would not back down, the officials stirred up the crowd and Polycarp was burnt, burnt to death. He had remained faithful for his long life and he was faithful in death. Well, what about us? The situation in Smyrna was vastly different to our experience today. Does this letter have anything to say for us? I think it does. I think when we think of the church globally, uh, locally here, you know, St John's here in Australia, and the church made up of individuals, you and I, the church knows suffering on a number of different levels. Globally, we have fellow Christians who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Some are imprisoned and some are even being put to death. Now, occasionally we hear of churches being bombed, but mostly we can't talk about Christians in places of danger. Simply exposing them through naming them can put whole families at risk. I once met a woman who had fled to New Zealand when she became a Christian. Her Hindu family threatened to kill her for shaming the family. It can be the government, it can be even someone close like your family who poses, uh, uh, who, who persecutes. We here can take freedom of religion for granted, but Christians living in a country dominated by another religion understand the Church of Smyrna well. How should we pray for them? Well, I think we ought to pray that they remember the life they have in Christ. We ought to pray for them that they might have courage to not be afraid. And we ought to pray that they remain faithful to Jesus no matter what. What about the church here locally? What about the church in Australia? Now, here in Australia, persecution of the church and Christians is much more subtle. Stephen McAlpine, in a book that I'd recommend to anyone, Being the Bad Guys, points out that only a few generations ago, you know, my grandparents' generation, our Christians were seen to be the good guys. Christian morality was assumed and seen as good. 
But there's been a gradual shift over the last century so that uh, we have become not just one of the good guys, one option among many, but not the only option. But more recently, Christianity and we Christians are being seen as the bad guys. Christianity is not no longer just one of many options. It's not an option at all. Christianity has been seen lately as dangerous. Yes, it's right that we have been called out for the abuses of the church, but with that, all of Christianity has been rejected. Persecution now is an accusation that what we believe about basic things like human identity, freedom, morality is dangerous. So we're seeing concerted efforts to limit the reach of Christians. Now, we could just try to be the good guys again, but in today's world, that would be to be accepted as the good guys is to accept the views of the world around us, and sometimes they're contrary to the Bible. That would be denying Christ. The letter to the church in Smyrna tells us not to be afraid of criticism, but to be faithful to Christ to the end. Polycarp would have known how to live in the 21st century as a Christian. He didn't give up on the truth. He lived it out, showing love and kind, the love and kindness of God. We ought to be praying for ourselves as a church that we might be faithful to Christ in a world that's rejected Christianity and Christian values, that we would not give up. Well, what about you and me on a personal level? Well, we all suffer challenges in our lives that may be directly related to being a Christian or maybe they're just part of being human. Some of us will bear the brunt of the changing attitudes of Christ towards Christianity. Some of us will be challenged in our faith uh, and what we, uh, what we believe, maybe in our schools, in our workplaces, even in our families. Now, at this time in our history, you and I won't be put to death for our faith in, uh, in Christianity, but un the unrelenting rejection and opposition can be very demoralising and very distressing. Jesus asks us to be faithful. And then throughout our lives, most of us will suffer major challenges that may not be related to us being Christians. We may suffer through illness, accident, natural disaster. We've all seen people whose lives have been destroyed by fire or flood. Maybe we'll experience bereavement, loss of income or business. Any number of difficulties can bring us to the point where we want to shake a fist at God and say it's all too hard. Hang on to Jesus. He's done the heavy work in rescue, rescuing us. The victory has been secured by his death on the cross. We just need to hang on to remain faithful through whatever storm we've been hit by. Now here at St John's, I think we're pretty good at supporting each other through tough times. We need to keep that up. It's right for us to pray for specific circumstances, you know, for healing, for a new job or whatever. And it's right for us to help out where we can. But we ought also to be praying for those going through really tough times, that they would remember the life they have in Christ, the riches in Christ, and that they would remain faithful to Christ. We ought to be supportive of each other through our faith struggles. Just like the Christians in Smyrna, we're promised a crown of life if we remain faithful through persecution and through suffering. The Christians in Smyrna were told that the time of persecution would last 10 days. 
It probably was not a literal 10 days. Polycarp was for 86 years. But it was a promise that suffering and persecution had a time limit. Life might be tough and feel really dark, but there will be an end. It does have a time limit. And we're promised life through Christ if we stick with him. Jesus promises us life life like we've never known it before. But you don't get the victor's crown if you bow out in the middle of the race. You get it at the end. All he asks of us is to remember that we have something more valuable than anything else, life in Christ. He asks us to remain faithful to the end. If we hold on to Jesus, we also hold on to life. I'd like to pray for us now. Jesus, we thank you for that amazing life that you promise. We thank you for all that you have done for us, that you have died on the cross. And in rising again, you can offer us true life, eternal life. And we do want to lift up those that are undergoing really tough times. We think globally. There's many people, Lord, that we don't know about, we don't hear about, Christians that are, are suffering for their faith. We pray that they might remain faithful in you, that they would have the courage to not be afraid, remembering who you are and the life in Christ. We pray for those who are known for us, those who are undergoing you know, real challenges to their faith at one level or another. We pray for um, courage and, and strength, that they would not be afraid through that. But ultimately, we pray that they would remain faithful to you and not give in. For those that are undergoing personal challenges um, that are really bringing them to a point of just really questioning you, we do again pray that they might be reminded of the riches there are in Christ and to know you and, and find strength in that and to remain faithful to Jesus. Thank you for your grace, for your amazing love that holds us and rescues us. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.